Hey, this is Josiah from the future making a brief correction. Uh, at one point, I referenced that the president of Ukraine after the Orange Revolution was Lukashenko, and I meant Yushchenko. Lukashenko is the current president of Belarus. Uh, anyway, enjoy the episode. I'm definitely like like internationalist type who thinks that like, yeah, I should actually just like impose, I should just oppose imperialism. What Russia wants out of Ukraine is a pliant client state. Like if we believe in democracy, we should let people pick how their governments are structured. You are listening to Fruitless, a podcast hosted by me, Josiah Sutton. This is episode three, Ukraine is a Rorschach test, featuring Chris Barker, where we talk about the war in Ukraine in historical context. Welcome to Fruitless, everybody. Welcome to Fruitless. I am uh, joined today by Chris Barker, longtime friend of mine, um, masters in Russian history. Feels notable to throw in there. <laughs> uh, why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, uh, my name's Chris. I live in Tennessee now. I didn't used to. The last time I talked on one of Josiah's podcasts, I lived in Iowa. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, the problem. The, the problem with having a master's in Russian uh, history is uh, when you get a master's degree, you get it in something like really, really specific, and it wasn't on Ukraine. <laughs> but frankly, close, close enough. Uh, really I don't, I don't know anyone else. Did have to learn a lot about the country. So I, I know, I know some things. I feel slightly more. Uh, I feel slightly more equipped to talk about this than a lot of the randos who've only read theory books. What uh, What was your thesis on? You should You should say that. Um, it's on the Volga Tatars, which are different from the Crimean Tatars, who are relevant to today's discussion. Yes, I was gonna. Um, I was curious if they were relevant or like yes. if, if it was the same um, thing or not. The, the Crimean Tatars are definitely relevant to today's discussion, um, but the Volga Tatars aren't really. They're in Tatarstan. It's. Uh, a semi-autonomous um, kind of republic in the Russian Federation on the Volga River, mm. capital of Kazan. It's got massive oil and natural gas deposits, so it's a like a pretty wealthy, um, yeah, yeah, area of Russia. Kazan is probably the second or third richest city in Russia. Uh, mm. Not probably third or fourth, I would say. Sorry, Petersburg and Moscow are definitely richer, but then it's like. Is it Kazan or is it Nizhny Novgorod? You know, that's mm. basically uh, the question there. Maybe you could throw in Sochi because of all of the recent investment with sports and stuff down there. But right, right. anyway, um, yeah. yeah, so the Tatars are the largest um, majority Muslim uh, ethnic group in Russia. I think they might actually be the largest non-Russian ethnic group. I can't remember that off the top of my head right now. Hmm. Um but they're definitely the largest majority Muslim ethnic group, the Volga Tatars. And uh, they're like the remnants of the Mongol horde um, from way back in the day. Yeah. yeah. Um, I wrote my entire thesis on like, hey, like even within the Russian Federation itself, 
you've got, you know, Dagestan and Chechnya and Ingushetia are like, uh, you know, these like conflict zones where you've got, you know, Muslim, you know, quote unquote separatists. And, and there's like, there's a lot of violence and, you know, terrorism mm-hmm. going on both from the state and from the, you know, uh, from paramilitaries within the, uh, with, within, uh, within those ethnic groups. But then the Tatars are just sitting here in the middle of, uh, in the heart of European Russia, just being chill. Everybody kind of likes the Tatars. Well, I was trying to figure out why that was, uh, basically yeah. settled on, um, they got rich and were smart and insinuated themselves into Soviet leadership pre uh, pre breakup of the Soviet Union. Yeah. So there, there is some relevance to us uh, kind of, you know, I, I guess we haven't formally said, but we're, we're going to talk about Ukraine mm-hmm. um, from kind of a historical context and kind of where we think the discourse is going wrong here. Um, yes. But, you know, I, I think that 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 thesis isn't necessarily unrelated to this because you you have a lot of um thought about how russian minority groups fit in with russia and ukraine in a lot of ways is you know this this question of of minority groups both ukrainians being a former minority group of you know of russia and then you also have the russian speaking minority groups within ukraine now yeah and the tartars and yeah yeah absolutely and it was like it was like slightly controversial when the ukrainian ssr was created as distinct from the russian ssr Hmm. during the soviet union there were a lot of people who were like no ukraine is just a region of russia and they're just a minority group that lives in russia and that's not its own country and so there was problems there khrushchev Mm -hmm. gave crimea back to the ukrainian ssr uh at some point during his premiership of the soviet union and so that was land that was part of the russian ssr but then got given to Mm -hmm. ukraine in the 50s um at some point which is part of that was part of what putin used to uh as a pretext for Mm -hmm. retaking crimea in in 2014, 2014 was that like hey this is this hasn't even this hasn't even been Ukrainian, quote unquote, for a hundred years. This is our land. We we should yeah. have it. And that's basically also what he's saying now is like this hasn't been Ukraine for yeah. more than a hundred years. This has been Russia for time immemorial. It's not Ukraine, it's Russia. It's mine. I get it. Yeah. Like, mm, well, maybe, we'll see. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe incorrect, buddy. Maybe. God, we'll fucking see. We'll see. So let's uh let's let's start and we're gonna try our best to kind of walk through the history of Ukraine here to kind of bring us to the present moment here, because there's a lot of history that's going into this, you know, crisis. And I feel like a lot of people are rapidly doing a lot of research trying to understand (laughs) what's happening right now. I know, you know, I wasn't like unfamiliar with Russian or Ukrainian history, but I know that I've spent a lot of time filling myself in over the last couple of weeks on details I was missing. So um, I guess, before even getting to the Soviet Union or whatever, what was Ukraine in like Imperial Russia? So before the revolution, before communism. Well, shit, man, we got to even go back further than um, Imperial Russia. So like, yeah, a big part of a big part of Putin's, uh, you know, rhetorical stance for why they should get this is that essentially the modern day Russian state um, can trace itself back to this uh you know, medieval era um, thing called Kievan Rus. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Um, you know, the Prince Vladimir got baptized, created Kievan Rus, yep. got a bunch of, you know, associated states in a rough confederation, you know, Veliki Novgorod, uh, Lvov, you know, all of those areas. Um, and so what became what we think of as Russian culture really actually did start in Ukraine. Um, but then it like came to its full blossoming in what is Russia. And then like Ukrainian culture became its own distinct and different thing, you know, over the course of many, many years. I can't even remember. God, when was Kiev and Rus? Jesus. When? I mean, yeah, oh, that's talking medieval here. But yeah, I mean, you could see the a very, very long time ago. But that's like that's the kind of stuff that they were that that uh, the current um, uh, the current russian government is trying to kind of call back to to say like no this is this is where we came from so if this is where we came from then we that that that's our land too yeah Looks like even russ is from uh the late 800s to uh about 1250 1240 1250 yeah. yeah um right yeah and i mean when you know, th this is how a lot of like nationalist projects in Europe kind of play out that I, I think feels kind of odd to Americans. But, um, you know, because uh, actually the original thing I asked you to come on for and one day we will return to it is to talk about 1848, the revolutions right. of 1848 the, in Russia. Essentially the creation of European nationalism. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, like they all hated each other and were warring with each other for forever. And, you know, up yeah. until that point. But like. Yeah, it was like the, I mean, the French Revolution is a bit of the spark, you know, that like sets things smoldering for the next half century. But like, yeah, 1848 is essentially when everybody decided, yeah, we're a country now. Yeah. Oh, boy. And the, you know, the 19th <laughs> century, <laughs> you know, the 19th century is like what when you imagine nations, when you think of what it means to be someone for someone to be German, you know, it was really birthed in the 19th century. It was the product of of poets and not authors and romanticist writing thinking back on a kind of fantasy of the medieval period um and you know looking back at the german people yeah so both both ukraine and russia kind of have their ties back to the same medieval kingdom kiev and rus which is which is funny because you, you know you look at the name there you can see this the roots of both of those there kiev being the capital of Ukraine and Rus becoming Russia. <laughs> yeah. But a no. split happens uh, kind of during the imperial era. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's like they just in general, like just it, it, it's, it's harder to, it's harder to enforce um, uniform culture across large distances um, than, than it is now. Right. Uh, you know, I think we, uh, we talked briefly, I think last week about this idea that like, um, within the United States, we're rapidly just getting two accents instead of all of the different regional accents. You know, there's a rural accent and an urban accent now, and everybody talks one or the other way, basically. Um, you know, if you're younger than like 40. Um, <clears throat> and like a big part of that is because you now have the ability to like push cultural expectations beyond how far a fucking horse can get in one day right yeah because of like so like we TV had all internet and stuff yeah exactly the t tv internet um you know movies all of that stuff is like a 
it's a it's a homogenizing force um more than anything else and um and so then uh you know mass media is a homogenizing force that wasn't really present before and so you know that you just you know in the in the imperial era of russia it just like ukraine became its own thing it was for a while, um, Kiev and Rus wasn't actually under Russian dominion, but then Russia took it over and it treated it as though it was its own, as though it was uh, just Russia, right? And they just they mm. sent a bunch of people there to settle it. It was like a, a pre-colonial era uh, attempt at colonialism, but like Ukrainians still had their own distinct culture. Ukraine and Russia still argue about is Nikolai Gogol a Ukrainian or a Russian? I mean, the answer is both. But like, you know, uh, yeah. So it was it was it, it, it was it, it was messy in the way that like everything is messy in that time. It's hard to tell like who is what. Things don't begin to crystallize until late in the 19th uh, 19th century and into the 20th mm. century when Ukraine really is its own separate thing. Yeah. Um, you know, and then, and then we have the Holodomor, which really crystallizes uh, Ukrainian identity because that like the Russians weren't the ones who were starving to death. It was the Ukrainians. And so they like really now knew that like, oh, okay, we're different than them. Right. Or at least right. they view us as different than them. Yeah. Um, that's something well, that's pretty pretty significant as well. Yeah. What one of the most consistent like military strategies in Russian history is is kind of to fuck over Ukraine too. Cause like, you know, U- Ukraine being part of Russia, like, you know, um the the Napoleon's invasion of Russia, right? It was the scorched earth approach to mm-hmm. responding to that. You know, if you've ever read War and Peace, right? It's about uh, you burn everything and just keep retreating until Napoleon's army's worn down. And they did the same thing to the Nazis. Um, and Ukraine was the place that got burnt down. And then you you <laughs> sandwich between both of those events, you know, one of the you know most horrific famines, um, you know, the Soviet Union ever witnessed. Um, and you know, the debate about whether or not it was intentional, whether or not it was, you know, kind of a, a conscious genocidal action. I mean, this, this is a group of people that's been fucked over a lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But yeah, then you go through, you know, you go through, you go through, uh, uh, you go through the 1900s, right. And you've got, um, you know, Ukraine gets turned back into the breadbasket, um, mm-hmm. you know, they get out of the famine and Ukraine is just the breadbasket of the Soviet Union. It's an area of, of uh, heavy industrialization as well. They've got the, you know, the mining areas in, uh, in the Eastern part of Ukraine, Donbass and Luhansk places that people now know exist. Names. I admittedly frantically Googled a couple weeks ago. This <laughs> now, but like there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff in the ground out there, which yeah. is part of why Russia wants it. Yeah. And and also part of why Ukraine doesn't want to give it up cuz like there's stuff in the ground that we can sell. Yeah. We yeah. would like to have that. Um you know, you've got obviously everyone knows about Chernobyl. I, I mean, that's not a that's not a specifically they did that to screw over Ukraine thing. That was just a, you know, an accident, it, but it it, was, it, it yeah, adds it was, to Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That was that wasn't intentional by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, 
somebody just some people just fucked up a, like a bunch of times in a row in the exact way that would produce a bad outcome. Yeah. Um, there are so many things that could have gone differently and everything would have been fine, but yeah, they, they just rolled snake eyes all day long. <laughs> um, but there's also, you know, if you look at the, the Dnieper river, it's, there's tons of, um, hydroelectric dams on it. They've like really dammed that up. The Soviet union did just like they've done with the Volga. So they produce a lot of, they've got all these water reservoirs and they produce a lot of hydroelectric power. Like, you know, Ukraine is a thoroughly industrialized country because of all of the money that the Soviet union poured into it. Um, and then the Soviet union collapsed and, uh, Ukraine got its independence. And then I think it was in 93 or 94 It was either 93 or 94. I can't remember exactly when, eh, I'm going to look it back up. I'm gonna, <laughs> anyway, there was a thing where basically, um, Ukraine gave up its nukes um, and they got a pinky promise from Russia that Russia wouldn't try to take them back over. So, <laughs> um, um, maybe, maybe, they, maybe they shouldn't have given up their nukes. I'm one of the, uh, yeah, that's uh that's hard because I'm, I'm in general anti-nuclear proliferation. Mm-hmm. However, when it was the only thing they had, because <laughs> that, that, that's the problem with the logic of, of, nuclear arms is like once you have them it makes no sense to give them up yeah which is which is part of why you see places like north korea or iran trying to pursue nuclear arms because now that gives you a much some sort of bargaining well, yeah, it gives yeah. you just a much stronger negotiating position uh on anything and it makes it so that like nobody can try to be territorially aggressive against you yeah you'll just get blown up so it's like once you have nukes, it makes very little sense um, <laughs> to give them up. But it would be way better for humanity if nobody had nukes. Uh, one thing I, you you mentioned that I wanted to pull back to was the amount of money the Soviet Union poured into Ukraine and developed Ukraine, right? Um, because I, uh, I I by accident read a Russian propaganda book uh, leading up to this book or leading up to this, which has actually been kind of yes, yes, yes. Um, no, cause I, I'm just, you know, at my job trying to research this as best I can while working. So I'm like, whatever's on audible is just basically what I have to read. And, you know, it was, it, you know, it's a book called Euram, yeah, uh, Euromadan and, um, neo-Nazis. And I'm like, perfect. I want to read about that. And I Googled, I didn't see there were two authors. So I Googled the first author uh-huh. and nothing really about him. So I was like, whatever. Right. The second author worked for Putin though. And it became pretty apparent pretty fast. It is a very much a propaganda book. Like it's not that it lies about the existence of Svoboda or whatever, which we'll get into later, but it just, uh, it it emphasizes lots of Russian talking points. And really the Russian view seems to be that like, as Ukrainians kind of have a sense of they were this colonized people, you know, that got fucked over. They were the, the punching bag. Um, they russia kind of sees them as the ungrateful child right we spent so much money on you we spent so much time on you why won't you love us it's like because you keep hurting us yeah 
because that's that's what I mean. It says it like in the very beginning of the book, and I was like, that was one of those sinking feelings, and that was when I started googling the other author, where they were like, it's kind of incorrect to call you know Ukraine's uh, you know position under Russia colonization because they you know were it's the only case of colonization where they got developed from it, and I was like, yeah, but that's what fucking colonizers also say. Like, <laughs> that's what we all. That's what. We have always said, right? <laughs> oh, oh, at least at least Nigeria got those nice uh, railway lines. Yeah, those nice yeah. railway lines that we ripped up when we left. You know, like it's, what the fuck, man? It's Come like on. fucking fucking white man's burden shit. You know, it, 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 it got civilized by us, so it was okay oh. that we were brutal to you for hundreds of years. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. Um, so yeah, so we come to the fall of the Soviet Union, Ukraine gets rid of its nukes, and this happens in, you know, 90, 91 to 94, yeah. and we now in, have this, this... Called. December yeah. 4, December 5th, 1994, they signed yes. the Budapest Memorandum, which formalizes that Ukraine is going to uh, destroy all of its nukes, and Russia will stop fucking with Ukraine. And that lasted for six years. <laughs> So it got destroyed. So that's nice. Uh, but uh, the, the fucking with Ukraine didn't last for very long. So Ukraine, like a lot of post-Soviet republics, which is a subject I kind of in general want to read a lot more about, enters into just kind of a weird period of trying to figure out what it is. Um, and that's, you know, what it's been for the last few decades um, with Russian meddling, with, um, you know, questions of whether or not to side more with NATO or with, you know, the, the kind of Western powers versus the Eastern powers. Um, so I guess, yeah, yeah, let's. No, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, like, it, it in so many ways, uh, Ukraine's experience is also, um, it's a, uh, it's a, a sibling of Russia's experience. Russia has always kind of been trapped with this idea of, like, do we face East or do we face West, right? And, like, Ukraine also has this problem. Do we face east to Russia? Do we face west to the rest of Europe? Um, a lot of the economic problems that uh, that Russia experienced in the 90s because of the absolutely cack-handed shock therapy, you know, thing that we did to their economies. Well, Ukraine experienced that as well. As, as, as you know, so did Poland, so did Hungary, so did all of the post-communist you know, states. We all just, like shock therapy austerity privatized them and was, i think i think it's safe to say now with the benefit of like 30 years of hindsight that, that was an absolute fucking catastrophe and that what we needed to do was something closer to like a marshall plan so that we were able to like hold on to you know social safety nets in these places um keep social cohesion high in these places rather than just absolutely destroying them you look at the the life expectancies in almost every place after the collapse of, of communism and like life expectancy falls off a cliff for like 10 years. Um, you know, and it's because like people were, were losing their livelihoods. They weren't, they weren't able to, to, they weren't able to have their retirements. So they were just killing themselves or just drinking themselves to death. Yeah. Or, yeah. Cause a lot of the, you know, what, you know, I don't know if it's quite, you could quite call it welfare, under communism but the the pro the social programs that existed under communism just disappeared yeah they just like go they just go away and yeah. and what it, it just gets replaced with with crappy capitalism that yeah 
does not help anybody. Yeah. And just forces people to, to, to be predatory to one another. And so, you know, Ukraine is experiencing a lot of the same stuff and fits and starts, you know, there was, they've, uh, the, the development of democracy there has been, uh, imperfect to say the least, but it seems like it's a place that, um, it seems, it seems like a citizenry that like genuinely does want to like, uh, genuinely does want to like govern itself rather than like, Mm-hmm. It, it, it like wants to resist the idea of autocracy. It wants to resist the idea of that sort of thing. This is they, they seem like a fractious bunch, which is good for democracy. Yeah. Um. You know. And and so like yeah, they're just you know, and that but but they're stuck between they're stuck between two great powers. Essentially, they're stuck between Russia and the European Union, which I would argue that I think that everyone is making a pretty big category error uh, mm. talking about NATO all the time. The, the bigger player here is the European Union. Yeah, I, yeah, I can see that. NATO is, NATO is just like, it's an obsolete thing that that doesn't really need to exist. And it only exists because of institutional inertia. But like the really powerful thing that mm. is attractive to people is the European Union. I mean, that's why that's why Hungary is still in the European Union, because mm-hmm. it makes no sense to leave it once you're yeah. in it. You know, I mean, that's that's what I mean, you know, like like Britain is ruining the day that they left. It was it was stupid yeah. to do yeah. that. You know, uh, Turkey still wants to try to join the European Union, even though now at this point with all of Erdogan's shenanigans, they're not going to let him in. But like they still want to join because because why wouldn't you want to be part of the second biggest economy on the planet? Right. You know, and yeah, let's we can briefly throw NATO into this as a player, too. So so NATO, yeah, is, is you know, if, if you are very unaware, uh, NATO was an alliance formed during the Cold War um, among, yeah, again, you know, the first world, essentially, among the, the anti-communist countries. And so. It continuing to exist for a lot of Russians feels like very feels bizarre. It feels like right. it's okay. An alliance that was formed against an ideology that we no longer hold. Right. It seems like it exists as an anti-Russian force. Yeah. And frankly, it is kind of silly that it still exists. I'm, I mean, uh, NATO should have in 93 when Russia asked to join, NATO should have said yes and let them in. Or NATO should have been like, no, we're actually just going to disband. We all like each other anyway, so we all have multilateral yeah. alliances with each other anyway. And we're just going to disband, and there's no reason for this like putatively anti-Russian organization to continue to exist. But by not letting Russia in and continuing to exist, it is an antagonistic um, specter mm-hmm. haunting Russia. Um, right. That is definitely a problem. But mm-hmm. I don't think that you can blame NATO... What Putin has what decided. What is fallen? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a yeah. It, it is a player, and there's there's a reason that leftists are very skeptical of NATO when you talk about NATO's continued involvement in Libya, for instance, or you know, plenty of disasters on the yeah. hands of NATO following the assault of the Soviet Union. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you could. I mean, you can even uh, reasonably quibble with NATO intervention in the Yugoslav wars. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. it's hard to say whether or not we made those situations better. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, maybe they would have been worse. It's impossible to prove a negative, but 
Yeah, but we threw a bunch of bombs into a really oh, complex wow. situation. <laughs> so yeah, so that's, I mean, that's another 90s uh, post-Soviet reality um, right there. But yeah, so so we get to the 2000s of uh, Ukraine. It's just been devastated by intense austerity, disappearance of social safety nets. Um, you've got uh, the rise of like the oligarchs. We, we see like a bunch of people took advantage of the collapsing economy, went and bought a bunch of shit and took over, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, yeah, I guess maybe you can help me fill this in a bit. How, how does this build to 2008 in the color revolution? Yeah, I mean, so um, as I was saying, like, you know, Ukraine has a uh, it's a very young democracy um, in general. And, you know, according to economic fortune, it's kind of been oscillating between being more Russia fo- uh, facing or more uh, Western facing. And um, a guy, uh, oh crap. Uh, you could sh- nope. nope. Uh, I want to say Yanukovych. Yanukovych, <laughs> that sounds I, right. I feel like maybe that's correct. I can't believe I'm blanking on this yeah, right now. Revolution. Yep, Yanukovych. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Yanukovych oh. gets replaced by Lukashenko. Yes, but uh, Yanukovych um, had been elected as more or less uh, a Western-facing person, and then about-faced in the in the middle mm-hmm. of his term. Um, lots of allegations of corruption and you know graft going on here. You know, just essentially siphoning from the coffers of the state to enrich himself, but. But he made this made this very um, made this made this very significant about face um, on Ukraine's uh, position, like uh, geopolitical positioning. Essentially, um, the majority of Ukrainians had, for at least a bit of time, been um, pro more European integration. They had um, kind of started down this path of of membership in the eu of greater integration with the eu and then all of a sudden yonakovich just about faces with that and begins um uh begins uh striking deals with um with with russia and uh for greater economic integration with russia and people are like no that's not what we have voted for this is not what we want we don't want more integration with Russia and we want to be separate from Russia. We want more integration with Europe. And then we got the whole, then we got Euromaidan. And I don't, I don't find the idea that this was like a CIA coup convincing at know. all, like at all, uh, because if it was, then in the relatively free and fair elections that we have had in Ukraine post this, uh, you would have seen public sentiment snap back from it, right? Because that's what has happened everywhere else. Uh, mm. There's been CIA meddling. As soon as you get a free and fair election, public sentiment snaps back from the shit the CIA tried to do because yeah. it's not what people actually wanted. Well, people in Ukraine do seem to actually want to be more integrated with Europe and with the European Union. They want to have access to those money markets. They want to have access to those commodities markets. They want for they want you know for for greater freedom of movement for their people and for people coming into Ukraine. Like there's a whole bunch of really compelling 
geopolitical reasons why you would want to move yourself away from an aging, slowly dying Russian, uh, you know, pole and towards, um, you know, a, a Western European pole that has also, you know, if you are, if you are part of Europe, you are essentially by proxy allied with the United States. So you're like an ally of the biggest dick in town. It makes complete sense why you mm -hmm. would want to be friends with that guy. Like all of these things make a lot of sense. Now, again, obviously I don't think that the United States is great, but it makes a lot of sense why countries yeah. want to be friends with us. Right. Right. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, we're, we're talking about this, this area era that this is where leftists start to get bad at talking about Ukraine. Oftentimes, yeah. um, you know, barring, um, barring certain types of authoritarian leftists that uh, were bad about it when you talk about the thirties even, but, <laughs> but um, no, tankies, uh, are, are definitely on board with, with Putin's, uh, yes. with Putin's rhetoric here. Cause yeah, goddamn right. Vlad, it was always Russia. It was always Russia. Um, yeah. So, so you have these two like kind of uprisings that take place, the orange revolution in 2004 to five. Um, and then the more, the more bloody one, which is Euromaidan or the Revolution of Dignity, depending on who you're who you ask. Um, Orange Revolution was pretty much bloodless uh, for the most part. It it looks like um, uh, Yanukovych getting pushed out, Lukash Lukashenko taking over. Um, there's also the the fun little detail throw in when Putin tried to poison uh, Lukashenko. Uh, <laughs> Uh, caloric acne now on his yeah, face. Yeah, he, he looks like um, Steve Steve Bannon. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, they were. Oh God, man. I look. I don't. I don't know because, like, they were. That was also a uh, the the Orange Revolution was definitely a like it was definitely a like socially conservative revolution as well. It sure. was definitely like a nationalist, yes, socially conservative thing, and like. They were pursuing policies uh, of austerity to begin with, and then they got their asses kicked by the global financial crisis, which is what allowed, um, which is what allowed Yanukovych to get back into power in the right. first place. Because they bungled, they bungled everything about the financial crisis so badly. Yes, like Yanukovych uh, was able to come back to power through a popular election. Yeah. And this like, was in what that, that would have been for the 2008 crisis. So 2010. Yeah. yeah okay. 2010 is when, uh, Yanukovych Yanukovych back into power. And, uh, um, but like he gets, he gets brought back into power because everyone hated the other government, not because they liked him. Yeah. And not and definitely not because they wanted to like change their geopolitical orientation. They just right. didn't want these assholes in power who were destroying the government and like all of the apparatus of state that was the, what was left of it that was supporting people. They didn't want that. So they got rid of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that, that, so that's what 2010. And then we, we moved to Euromaidan in 2013 to 2014, the revolution of dignity. Um, and this is again, Yanukovych gets, gets shoved out. Yeah. Um, finally, but this one was a lot more bloody and this is what a lot of leftists point to because this is a point when those those 
soft, moderate nationalists in the Orange Revolution, some of them crystallize into being very, very scary nationalists <laughs> with guns. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> True, but you can't, like, you can't, like, you can't look at that happening without also talking about, and this is something that, like, mm. this is something that makes me fear for the future in Ukraine, regardless of what the outcome here is. But, like, those those squishy nationalists from 2010 morphed into scary nationalists in 2014 because of state violence. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like, like they, they could have just stayed squishy nationalists that you've got to like convince and like work around, but like state violence is a radicalizing thing for yeah. people on both sides. Right. It can, it can radicalize you to the right or it can radicalize you to the left. You know, I, I think for both of us, witnessing state violence has been a leftwardly radicalizing yes. um, thing. But that's not how everybody experiences state violence, particularly yeah. particularly in different contexts. And Especially so, in the context of a country that's grappling for national identity at this time. Exactly. And you're and you're seeing you're seeing your state that theoretically represents your national identity. Um explicitly trying to to purge you from 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 government from from having a say in service mm-hmm. of to your mind another country that is not you but that seemingly wants to dominate your country and now i look it's not the road i would go down but <laughs> but you can like you can see you can see where that pressure point and inflection point happens and for some people pick one road and some people pick another road mm-hmm. and unfortunately yeah i mean there's 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 a a decent sized cadre of of uh very uh very right wingedly uh radicalized people within ukraine but again I, you know, I, I said it before we even started uh, recording, I think, but it's like when we're criticizing, when we're criticizing Ukraine for having right wingers in its military, it's like, I don't know, man, physician, heal thyself. Worry yeah. about the log in your eye, guys. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're talking about both Russia or the U.S. We're, you know. Yeah. Like, come on. There's there's any number of things that I could say where it's just like, yeah, having a military is inherently right wing. There's going to be psychos. Yeah. There's like, I, there's no way around it. Having a police force is an inherently right wing thing. I, there's going to yeah. be psychos. I, you can either work to eliminate militaries and police forces, uh, or mm-hmm. you can accept that there are going to be psychos in militaries and police forces. And yep. that's just kind of how it is. Only... Only profoundly broken people want to hurt people. Yeah, right. <laughs> for a for a country, right? For a country where all of the laws are made up, they don't even fucking matter. No laws yeah. are real. <laughs> no laws are real. People go, it's unconstitutional. Fuck, they're doing it anyway. The laws are real. <laughs> Sorry, that's a completely different. No, no, you're right. On. But it's like only like. Genuinely, though, like when it comes to like militaries and things like that, like uh, uh, the only people who who sign up to do military service, particularly in wartime, are people who want to kill for something that isn't real, Mm -hmm. right? Something that is an entirely human construct. It's not fucking real. Right. Right. People are willing to kill for it. And 
that's the only kind of people you're going to get in an army. You know, I don't think it's probably the majority of Ukrainian forces, but it's definitely more than is ideal because the ideal yeah. number is zero. Well, and and so this is this is where what what I think distinguishes a clear-eyed look at the Ukrainian right wing versus what what Russian propaganda tends to do, which is to what extent you how much of a majority or how powerful of a force do you see the right wing in Ukraine? Because, you know, like the, this, this, you know, Russian book that I, I was reading, you know, they really act like this is the puppet strings behind everything that's going on, which is just not the case. Just like I, look I, at the fucking look at the makeup of the Rada. Right. You know, yes, like, Svoboda, Svoboda does not have that much uh, power. Yeah. But the, like, uh, it, it's the, the 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 current. I think the current governing coalition. Let me fucking check again. But I'm pretty sure most, most of them are part of the servant of the people party. Yeah, and that's a center left party. Yeah, yeah. Like the governing coalition is a center left governing coalition. Mm-hmm. The actual truly right because because this is a functioning fucking country that has multi parties instead of mm-hmm. just two. Like yeah. our stupid country, uh, but like the actual right wing in Ukraine has no fucking power. Right, they're not even the formal opposition. They're yeah. they're, they're the backbenchers to the backbenchers. Yes, they're the, they, fucking, they're the fucking eighth grade baseball team. They're not they, even the varsity football team. <laughs> they they had a brief burst in popularity, but even then, you're talking about like twenty percent um, during right after Euromadan. But now. They're they're nothing. They are re- relegated primarily to these paramilitary forces. Yeah, strength is strongest in areas that are closest to areas that Russia has been fucking with. Mm-hmm. Because of course they are, because right. those are the areas that are having to deal with Russian fuckery the most. So of course people are being radicalized to the right in those areas. Well, and, and of course people are being radicalized. Period in those areas because those areas are also where, like, you see also the anarchist paramilitaries or the the more like leftist kind of organizations that exist there are also combating these same things, and they are also combating the existing government. You know, they they also there there's a lot of fucking moving pieces in Ukraine. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's like it's like people always people always like um you know a, a fun trivia question is uh. What uh what party got the second most votes in the German election that got uh Hitler the chancellorship? Is that liberal? It's the fucking communists. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. The communists got the second most votes in that election because the entire society was radicalizing because nothing was fucking working right. Yeah. So everyone was rushing to the edges and the squishy fucking centrists. With, with the fascists and like that's the fear in ukraine yeah. is that the squishy centrists are going to go with the fascists but right now at least it seems like actually the center is holding and that like yeah we're not going to go down the fascist route the uh the ukrainian center is uh and for now it's kind of a fun thing to talk about um because like right now we there's kind of like this idolizing of Zelensky going on that's you know increasingly getting more and more annoying but more absurd because genuinely up to this point, he was a complete nothing burger of a politician. He was just yeah. like competently being a president. Okay. I, I, 
I love I, I love talking about Zelensky. I, I feel like uh, I feel like because the press is trying to frame him as a hero, they don't talk about like his prior like you know uh, uh, history as much. He grew to f- you know rose to fame on a TV program called Servant of the People, which is also the name of the party that he formed. Yeah, um, and it's a like kind of almost Sorkin esque type politics show where he uh, plays a history teacher who. Uh, goes on a rant about corrupt politicians and the video goes viral and then he accidentally gets elected president. So it's about this, oh, everyday liberal guy who fumbles his way into the presidency. And why couldn't that be me? (laughs) I don't have to be the president. Also, I don't want to be the president. No, it's impossible to be a good human being and be the president of the United States. Well, I think any modern country, honestly, uh, I just don't think you can be a good human being and be the leader of a modern state. <laughs> I just, I don't um, think you can do it. So yeah, it was, uh, they, they ended up, uh, you know, rebranding the centrist party after the name of that show. And part of it was also to save money on advertising because they could advertise the coming third season of the show during yeah. his presidential run. And he won really, really strongly against the incumbent who was the owner of the channel five news, like, like channel, like the so channel, there, there's a whole, was all- <laughs> whole weird baudrillardian like information war that was go that's been going on the last few you know whatever but uh zelensky was on the in the pandora papers at the end of last year that dropped and so he he has his his own ties to corruption and investment in the united kingdom um rich motherfucker even before even before serving the people he was a rich motherfucker he was like i had done a I, i did a little bit of uh like uh, I did a little bit of looking um, into like his past comedy because he was like he was also like he's just a stand-up comic, right? Mm-hmm. Like an unbelievably popular stand-up comic who like basically create who like, basically created the Ukrainian comedy scene, which is I think insane. He was yeah. like so popular in Russia that he just like completely ripped his brand out of Russia. Went like no. We're doing Ukrainian comedy now. Here's Ukrainian comedy. We're not trying to pander to Russians. We're not speaking in Russian. We're speaking in Ukrainian now. Let's fucking do this. And he like basically created the entire Ukrainian comedy scene in the 2000s. Like that's stupid. Yeah. And I watched. I, I watched a couple of his. He has some spicy routines. <laughs> I, I've heard of uh, him playing piano with his penis uh, on TV. Well, yeah, so. There's this one where he's like joking about Bandera, Stepan Bandera, the famous fascist collaborator, uh, the Ukrainian nationalist fascist collaborator from World War II. He's like joking about Bandera and he's like, he's reading a monologue and like the monologue is like facially like look, we're like Bonderites and we're like, you know, like we're allowed to like steal from people as long as they're Russian and everything is fine. And he's like, it's like facially this very like fascist thing. But like when you are watching him, you're watching him be like, this is bad. This is not good stuff. You are bad people for laughing at these jokes that I am telling you right now. Yeah. But But, but like, but like you have to have the full context of like watching the skit because he's being really spicy with this. Yeah. He's like essentially sending he's essentially like he's essentially like pulling people's like Russian antipathy 
out and making them laugh at like anti-Russian stuff. But then with his performance being like, what is wrong with you? Yeah. You know, but he is right. just like, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah, really. That's yeah. It's really interesting. Um, but yeah, uh, before the invasion, he was at a 31% approval rating, partially from a hit from the Pandora Papers revelation. And, you yeah. know, his career was collapsing in some way. And then the invasion. And, and now he's at a 90% because, you know, at the end of the day, you don't see many, you know, presidents in our modern age stay in a city that's getting sieged. You know, yeah. so kudos to him for that, for sure. Yeah. But yeah. a lot of people who just would just be like, okay, well, I guess I'm fighting now. Yeah. Um, but I think he's kind of an interesting, like, I don't know, case study of like the kind of, um, I don't know, he, he played a character of just, I'm the not corrupt guy. And people yeah. in, you know, in this, in Ukraine desperately rushed to that because, you know, that's what they're like looking for. Right yeah. Now. Yeah. I mean, that's what, that's what honestly, basically every, uh, you could repeat it across literally every fucking democratized country right now it's everything mm -hmm. is so uh, every every political office is just so incessantly captured you mean you look at like all of the corruption scandals that boris johnson keeps running dick first into <laughs> you know like macron is obviously a patsy of of finance you know he's mm -hmm. utterly shit to his core you know, uh, Angela Merkel yeah. was like hardly a delight when it comes to like <laughs> when it comes to like things that actually matter in the world, rather than like just being mean to Greece. Yeah. You know, like like I, 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 it it totally makes sense that people would just like see somebody whose outward affect is I'm just a normal guy and I don't take bribes from people and be like yes. I mean that's part of people like Donald Trump because he was like. Because he was so cartoonishly corrupt, they were like, "Doesn't fucking matter. He's bought everybody." You know, it's like it's like it's like a horseshoe theory of corruption. Yeah. There, you know. Well, it, it's. I think. I think. Like, sorry. You know, it, it's it's kind of an interesting product of like I don't know neoliberalism and austerity, right? You have these increasingly corrupt politicians, yeah. and then people craving lack of corruption, and then people taking on roles and characters that they play that exudes non-corruptedness or an embrace of corruptedness or it's you know it's all uh you know. Way, you know the only way i think really to get around this at the, it's you gotta got rebuild state capacity so that like people's lives aren't dependent on corporations okay we're getting off topic i'm sorry yeah keep, yeah no I, i'm ranting about i'm ranting about shit that is not at all connected to ukraine well, i mean i i think austerity is definitely related I, to ukraine yeah. um yeah. But yeah, general situation of the world. Right. Um, so, I mean, that kind of brings us up to what, what, you know, what, what has happened in the, now the last uh, couple like of weeks, three, three months ago, essentially when the United States started being like, Hey, everybody, Hey, wait, you guys realize there's an army on the border, right? Like there's an army on the border. They're going to, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's like three months ago. The United States started being like, you guys, they're going to do something. And, you know, the United States, NATO, whatever you want to point to, has kind of a boy that cried wolf scenario that occurred exactly. there. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and like you and I have talked about this before, is like leftists have a well-earned, 
reflexive distrust of shit the United States says. Yeah. And I will even admit that, like, at very first, I was like, come on. But, yeah, then, I, like, but then I, like, saw satellite photos. And I was like, oh, that's a fucking army. Okay. Yeah. Okay. There's an army here. He's going to do something. And you could, like, follow Putin's rhetoric that was steadily increasing um, and, like, steadily escalating. And, like, and also just, like, look, he took Crimea. Like, right. He already did that. And so, <laughs> he engaged in World War One style trench warfare in Luhansk and Donbass for the last eight years. He's right. already at war. That's a that's a chunk we kind of left out there. But yeah, after Euromaidan, of course, uh, you know, Russia responded by uh, annexing Crimea, doing a little referendum to show it was a democratic a maneuver. Absolutely a horseshit referendum. Uh, referendum. Sure. And people yeah. will cite the results of this fucking referendum, but I am sorry. I, I told you this, but like the, the Crimean Tatars are like 30% of the population of Crimea. And they have a uniquely antagonistic, like even more antagonistic than Ukrainians relationship to Russia. It is impossible for me to believe the Crimean <laughs> Tatars fucking voted 90 to 10 in favor of annexation to Russia. It's just not fucking possible. Just That's doesn't a transparently bullshit vote. A transparently bullshit vote that only served to give the barest of fig leaf covers to an aggressive military takeover of a, of, of territory of a sovereign nation. Yeah. Like, that was bullshit. And then, yeah. like, Russia keeps saying that, like, we don't have any military units in Luhansk and Donbass. That's bullshit. Everyone knows it's bullshit. Mm -hmm. Like, you're paying them. They're Russian military units. Like, they might be yeah. dudes from Luhansk and Donbass, but, like, if you're paying them, and everyone knows that you're paying them, everyone yeah. knows that you're paying these separatists, yeah. that means they're Russian military. Um, right? That's what that means. And there's been trench warfare for eight years in Luhansk and Donbass. Yeah, and and that's that's an important yeah, detail. We, we were talking about radicalizing forces here of state, you know, state suppression. So you have a lot of the state suppression of like the pro-Russian separatist groups, which in turn has you know led to its own atrocities and whatever, mm -hmm. and increased tensions, increased radicalization of the separatists. Um, and so yeah, we 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 come to this really fractious point in Ukraine, and then the invasion. Yeah, but like, but like, I would just say also, like, it's 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 like I think I likened it to you that like there's like New Hampshire separatists who want to have like New Hampshire be a but like they don't mean anything like mm -hmm. they're nothing and they won't mean anything until like some conservative billionaire gives them a ton of money to start trying to like actively try to subvert the government of the state of New Hampshire and get them to secede, right? right? Like, like these, these pro-Russian separatists were at most when all of this started an extremely annoying, but tiny minority, but mm -hmm. like Russia funded them. Russia is paying them. Russia is sending them their weapons. Russia is shooting down airplanes in Ukraine for them. Yeah. Like like jetliners in Ukraine, everyone has memory hold the fact that Russia shot down a jet plane in Ukraine <laughs> and killed a bunch of Dutch people. 
Yes, everyone forgets that they did that, but they did. Yeah, yeah. Like, look, like none of the none of those separatist groups last at all against the like against the power of the Ukrainian state if the Russian state is not funding them. Mm-hmm. Right, like they can like huff and puff and put their chests out, but like if Russia is not funding these um, these separatist groups in Luhansk and Donbas. Ukraine just comes in and goes, this is Ukraine. Fuck off. Like, mm-hmm. no, you're not joining Russia. Right. This is Ukraine. You can be here. You can be Ukrainian. You can continue to speak Russian. We're not going to stop you. I mean, we are going to mm-hmm. say that everyone needs to learn Ukrainian. Uh, but you, we can also learn Russian. You know, anyway, there's yeah. there's a lot of cultural um Yeah, that's a that's a whole other. You've got to, like, deal with out in the eastern part of Ukraine. Because something that was very controversial was uh, the uh, the like the the Ministry of Education being like Ukrainian is now the primary language that kids have to learn in school, and Russian will be like an elective course. And the further, like the closer to the border with Russia you get, the more people are native Russian speakers. Obviously, mm-hmm. people are like, "Well, we speak Russian here. Why aren't we? Why aren't we learning Russian as our?" first language in primary school and then having ukrainian as a secondary language choice that's fine that's a very complicated and difficult uh, mm-hmm. question to answer but it's one that you uh it's, it's one that you answer with elections not with armed uprisings right right now and you know and that's that's one of the grievances because yeah there there is a lot of um anti-russian sentiment in ukraine for, it's only getting worse uh, now yeah, some of it's going to get a lot worse now. And, you know, the people that suffer from that aren't necessarily just Russians like in Russia, but like the Russian minorities that exist, you know, in Ukraine, they they do suffer for that. And mm-hmm. it's not that those people like that, it, that that isn't worth empathy, but it does not justify a, you know, the, the massive invasion that's taking place. But, but it also doesn't. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, finish go ahead. Your I'm sorry. No, no, I know. I just it, it also doesn't change the fact that there are a lot of people who speak Russian and who are ethnically Russian, but who think of themselves as completely Ukrainian mm-hmm. and who like maybe want like for the Ukrainian state to like be a little more chill about the Russian language or Russian culture or whatever. But they're like, I'm not a Russian. I mean, I'm ethnically Russian, but I'm a Ukrainian. It's the same kind of, you know, we, 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 we have this, we have this, uh, we have this phenomenon in the United States, right? Uh, immigrants from Mexico and Central America who are like, mm. their first language is Spanish. Um, they definitely feel like they're from whatever country they're from, but they also feel like they're American. So it's like, yeah, of course you're American, mm-hmm. right? And like these people, like a lot of these Russian speakers, like you'll you, you'll even see it sometimes because uh, in in like some of these videos that have come out, there are people who are plainly speaking Russian to Russian soldiers. They're not speaking Ukrainian mm-hmm. to Russian soldiers and yelling at them. They're speaking Russian and being like, "Look, I'm Russian." Like, I mm-hmm. speak Russian, I am a Russian person, but I'm also Ukrainian, and you can't be fucking doing this shit. Like, yeah. you should not be here. This is Ukraine. We're Ukrainians. You need to leave us alone. Why are you in our country? Like, right. That is, that is happening. There are people with, like, with, with dual consciousnesses, right? 
Where it's yeah. like, I'm Russian and I'm Ukrainian. I live in Ukraine. That means I'm a fucking Ukrainian. That means right. that other people need to stay out of my fucking country. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, like, you know, part of the reason that we, you know, I, I wanted to have you on and why we switched topics for the episode was because you and I are both kind of equally uh, baffled, maybe would be a light way of putting it, at how the discourse <laughs> peeved, yeah, how the discourse on the left has kind of unfolded surrounding yeah. us. Um, you know, it, it, part of it being like, you know, part of it being understandable in the very beginning where you have like, yeah. Yeah, the general doubt of U.S. intelligence, because of course, because because Iraq, because I grew up in Iraq, you know. Like, yeah. yeah, I watch these assholes. I watch these assholes lost, launch misbegotten invasion after misbegotten invasion for my entire adult life. Not yeah. even my entire adult life, for my entire conscious life. Like, yeah, why, why the fuck do I trust these guys? And then it's like, like I said, then it's like, oh, but I saw the satellite photo. They're like, that's yeah. Our- it was uh, it was the recognition of the Donbass republics was when I kind of changed my tune, and then yeah, I mean once I mean once missiles start hitting Kiev, <laughs> you know, like no, dealing, we're not dealing with you know oh the press is fanning the flames of war again, you know right. this is like this is a real invasion that's occurring yeah, right now yeah not the press is fanning the flames of war again and it's also not again I don't I'm loath to give the government of the United States credit, but like, I think that everybody basically played the hand that they could play, you know, like Mm. America's not going to go to war over fucking Ukraine. No. And I, and they shouldn't to be clear. They They absolutely shouldn't. But like, I know it's 40 million people and, and they're important. And like, I, (laughs) it's like the, there there have been moments where like my lizard brain responsibility to protect thing is like triggering, but I'm like, no, actually Sam power was wrong about responsibility to protect and we don't need to do that shit. But like, yeah, the United States is not going to go to war over fucking Ukraine, not against another nuclear power. It's not going to fucking happen. And so like Biden, Biden was pretty upfront about that. He's like, we're not going to go to you. Like, Russia's going to invade and we're going to try yeah. to like, we're going to try to do diplomatic negotiations to avoid that. But like, we're not going to fight there. We're yeah. not going to Ukraine. So like you guys, this is going to happen unless we can diplomatically resolve this solution, uh, the situation. Oh, go ahead. Um, no. Yeah. One thing I wanted to throw in here, cause this is a kind of, reoccurring leftist talking point do you think that the u.s making it clear that ukraine wouldn't join nato would have been a good diplomatic move before the invasion or not no because again i think i like i touched on it earlier nato is a fucking stalking horse for all of this shit Mm -hmm. right the bigger thing is europe Mm -hmm. like nato's because because again nato's just fucking vestigial and maybe it makes okay maybe NATO has a like, maybe NATO has a a fucking bigger hold on on the Russian Federation's leadership than I think it should. Mm-hmm. But like, NATO is a fucking appendix. It could be abolished today, and nothing about world alliances would change at all. Right, nothing. but 
it you know at least early on like around like around new years i i specifically remember that that was the tune that russia was saying was its issue was was nato but that's that's the fig leaf justification yeah, for yeah. doing the evil thing you were going to do anyway right? yeah we yeah. are familiar with this by dint of being Americans, Americans say shit like this all the time when we're going to do something evil anyway that has nothing to do with the shit we say we're doing it for, right? Yeah. <laughs> so this is what has most frustrated me about the left's like analysis of this, is that like Putin is saying he's doing it for NATO reasons, but he's transparently doing it for evil imperialist reasons. And why can't we just fucking see through that? Because we see through it when the United States does evil shit for yeah. transparently evil reasons, but says they're doing it for a noble reason. We know when America is doing bad shit, why can't we just call it out when Russia is doing bad shit for bad reasons? No, uh, that? I, I agree with that for like a couple of reasons. One is P Putin's speech leading up to the invasion made it very clear that he does not believe in, in Ukraine's oh. national identity at all. And, you know, and he also moved the propagandist reason toward um, the, the Nazi, the Nazi kind of talking yeah, point. Denazification, which is just like, I'm sorry, buddy. It's way worse in your country. <laughs> in Ukraine, obviously, it's way worse in your country. So shut the fuck up, dude. It's way worse in your country. I've lived there. Right. Absolutely. It's um, swastikas. Like, come the fuck on, dude. Yeah, absolutely. So, so that that's why. And then on top of that, like once the invasion took place, like talks about NATO feel so irrelevant to what's going on right now. Because right. because because NATO isn't actually relevant to what Russia wants out of Ukraine. Yeah, it's not. NATO's not relevant. What Russia wants out of Ukraine is a pliant client state mm -hmm. that like continues to send it coal and metal and and grain that's what yeah. russia wants from ukraine and yeah. ukraine doesn't want to keep sending that to russia or at Absolutely. least it wants to send it to russia upon like market competitive terms you know it doesn't want to be a client state ukraine wants to be a country ukraine wants to choose its own adventure <laughs> you know and like and like you know i don't love the european union because it's a bunch of it's a bunch of shitty capitalist bourgeois quasi authoritarian shitholes, yeah. right? Like it's no better than the United States. The European Union is not amazing, but like if a country, if we believe in, if we actually believe in democracy, then a country should be allowed to choose that it wants to be in the European Union, right? It should be allowed to ch to choose to join that. Like yeah. if we believe in democracy, we should let people pick how their governments are structured and we can disagree with those governments and we can try to change them to a left-wing perspective. But like the overriding thing has to be that people get to fucking choose. Right. Well, this is kind of the, the, the crisis of Ukraine right now is because, you know, the, the reason there is a coalition of, of fighters on the ground that are anarchists, liberals, Nazis, all these things is because they're all vying for the future of Ukraine, but with Russia taking over Ukraine, there's no future of Ukraine no to even Ukraine. vie for. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. 
Exactly. So, like, if you have this dream of a social democratic Ukraine or a socialist Ukraine or even a communist Ukraine, you know, it if that's like your dream, takes it. it doesn't happen if Russia takes it. Right. Yeah. So we, we move that from there to maybe our own personal context. Like we're, we're here in the U.S. Yeah. and that's where the left is like struggling to figure out what to say. So you have like, oh, the DSA is... Um, uh, fucking counter committee. Yeah, where they're like, we stand with the anti-war protesters in both countries, and it's like, what fucking anti-war protesters in both countries? Right, right, are also, you, uh, like, like, I, <laughs> it's it's it feels like talking about the anti-war Palestinians. Like, what 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 do you mean when you say that? <laughs> yeah. They don't want there to be a. They don't want there to be a war on them, but like. They're still in one. Yeah, they've been you know? they've been in, invaded. Like, yeah. Do you think? Like, well, yeah, and like, or it's like it's like we stand for all the abolitionist slaves. It's like you guys, no slave wants to be enslaved. Yeah, like, like, come it, on. It just felt like it feels like a really bizarre both sidesing. Yeah, kind of well, thing that keeps like, happening. And then they're then they're they're calling for like immediate. Uh, they're calling for immediate diplomacy, and it's like, for uh, to what end? Because, like, genuinely, mm. uh, like, and, and they're and they're decrying sanctions, which I am assuming we're gonna really, really get into here. Yeah, we're, like, we're we're gonna have to. Yeah, but it's like the only the only leverage that Ukraine has right now because its its military is outmanned. It's it is the it is the invaded party, and its military is outmanned right now. The mm-hmm. only leverage that Ukraine has is international sanctions against Russia, right? Mm-hmm. And and when people say like you gotta, you have to like drop the sanctions, and we can start doing diplomatic negotiations. It's like what what fucking incentive does Russia have to enter into negotiations when they know we have more men, more tanks, more planes, more bombs? We can just keep going. Like, yeah. They have no incentive to stop absent diplomatic leverage. Yeah. And like that's what sanctions provide. So so yeah, so we we've, we've got there's like three moves the US can kind of do. I mean there's more than that, but really like three categories, right? So you got sanctions, you have uh sending arms to Ukraine, and then you have direct war. War declare yeah. war on Russia. Yeah. Uh the latter possibility so, both won't do nothing. Do nothing, right. Yeah. Um, I guess I, thankfully I don't, we're not doing, um, yeah. I do think, I do think that it is not inconsistent from a, I've seen a lot of people, um, not a lot, but I've seen some people that I know who are like, the United States just should not be doing anything right now. This is none of our business. Uh, we should not be doing this. And I'm like, I genuinely do not understand how you can call yourself a leftist in solidarity with mm-hmm. the common person and just not give a shit when somebody's country is invaded and not be like, Hey, my country should do like not war things to stop yeah. this. So, so we assume, yeah, direct military intervention then would be does that for one, it's not going to happen. If it did, it would be a disaster. It would Absolutely. be world war three. Yeah. It would be a nightmare. It should yeah. not happen. Yeah, you know, I, and we, we even fucking about- Max Boot is saying that would be a bad idea. I know. <laughs> Max Max Bootlicker 
even <laughs> you should not go to war, which tells you that we really shouldn't go to war. Yeah, but when I the do, hawks are hiding. Yeah, yeah. But I do think that I said to you that, like, I think the only other option that Biden had would have been really the only other realistic option that Biden had would have been to really actually say, "Look, if you invade, we'll declare war." Mm-hmm. That's the only other real option that Biden had, yeah. and we would have been furious with Biden if he had done oh, that yeah. because oh, that would sure. have been an unacceptable escalation. Oh yeah. So yeah, so we you have uh, sending arms to the Ukrainian population. And part of the fear behind that which is understandable but I think I don't know. I I go back and forth on th- these are the things I'm most ambiguous on and so I kind of want to hash out these. Yeah. You know, is the fear of repeating uh, the mistake that happened in Afghanistan in the 80s, oh, yeah, which no, is that's definitely an enormous fear for me. Right. So so what you know, what what happened in the 80s for, for those who don't know, of course, is, is the birth of the Taliban happened in the 80s, primarily because the U.S. was shoveling a bunch of arms yeah. into Afghanistan to resist Soviet arms. Uh, training. Yeah. Yep. And then they fucking, you know started a you know so the the fear the fear of these like nazi paramilitaries you know they don't have any power now but you give them a bunch of fucking tanks and they sure might end up having power exactly and so that, that's that's a fear yeah. that's a genuine real fear I, yes exactly i think that that is cur- my biggest fear in the current situation is 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 that what we get out of this is a a right wing that is armed with more deadly force than it had before i don't think that much good usually comes from flooding countries with arms Mm -hmm. now i don't really know what else to do (laughs) to do yeah um all right i I will say this um there's poland is apparently doing this uh, proposing this interesting thing whereby they're going to just give Ukraine all of their MiG 29s <laughs> and then they're going to buy a bunch of F 16s and F 35s from the United States. So this works out nicely for Poland in multiple ways. One, they don't have to keep flying Russian shit anymore, mm-hmm. um, and they don't have to like get tech support from Russia for their planes and they can just give them to Ukraine and Ukraine can use them. And two, they get to get a bunch of new shit from the United States. It's way better. So that works out nicely for Poland. And like, honestly, I kind of don't hate this. Well, it's just like, look, you guys know how to fly MiGs. This is going to the Polish Air Force. It's not going to random or not Polish Air Force, the Ukrainian Air Force. It's not going to some random fucking warlord or National Guard commander or whatever. It's like the actual Ukrainian Air Force getting MiGs. That's probably okay. Yeah. On yeah, I mean, yeah, I, 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 I tense about it because, like, I don't know. You, you've got your own uh, uh, right-wing rise occurring in Poland right now, too, of yeah, course. I mean, and so giving I'm, them a stronger military... That's a whole other thing that I don't know enough about to talk extemporaneously about, but is very concerning to me. Yes. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, Um, there's a lot of fears that go into dumping weapons into Ukraine. Um, 
I don't that, love it, but it does seem like the United States is like at the very least like a, being a little bit smarter about the kind of of military aid that it is supplying now. Mm-hmm. It's not just like it's like giving people it's giving people like infrastructural upgrades instead of necessarily like actual weapons systems i read a, i read a an interesting uh an interesting piece about this uh earlier this week where it's just like actually the biggest stuff that we've been doing um as far as because america has been like kind of giving ukraine military aid for a while now mm-hmm. um but like the biggest thing that we've been doing has not been like giving them like patriot missiles or shit like that we're just like giving them like secure walkie talkies so that their units mm. don't have to like communicate with cell phones that Russians can track. And we've okay, been giving yeah, yeah. them and we've been giving them like better um radar so that they can like actually track things in the air better. And we've been giving them like we've been, we've been giving them better like targeting and coordinating equipment. And so then it's just like Look, the missiles you have are going to work fine. We're just making them more accurate, right? And like, like the 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 tanks that you have work just fine. We're giving you better ways to coordinate them, right? And so it doesn't mean that we're sending them like fucking Sherman tank or M1 Abrams, right? We're not sending them Abrams tanks and being like, here, good luck keeping this gas turbine engine up and running in the middle of Ukrainian winter, like you don't have any of the spare parts. It's like, no, no, just keep running the tanks you're running. We're going to give you like better communications equipment. Yeah. And then that seems to be like making a huge difference and it's not necessarily flooding the country with AKs or M16s or man pads. Although I guess we are sending a lot of missiles there now. The nice thing about missiles is they mostly need to go into the air and yeah. it's a little harder to use them against actual ground troops and stuff so i guess that's but you know it's still it's it's harder to imagine like a right-wing insurgent group getting a hold of missiles and fucking with too much with that right yeah Yeah. um and then of course i think where we're going to end up spending most of the like remainder of the talk here is of course sanctions uh sanctions against russia is i think the the most I don't know where I find a lot of like uh, ambiguity. I have a hard time deciding where I land on. Um, yeah. So um, I, I, you're definitely more in the pro sanctions camp um, yeah. for this, for the most part. Yeah. Um, caveats, of course, but. Oh yeah. I mean, look, I've, I've seen a lot of, I've seen a lot of, of stuff uh, even recently where people are like sanctions are an attack against the working class. And it's like, yeah, they are. Um, they are, and uh, I mean that sucks. But uh, like, what about the working class in Ukraine mm-hmm. who's currently being invaded? I, I mean, like an ounce of solidarity for those people, please. You know, yeah. like I know that most of the people who are living in Russia aren't responsible for this at all. Like mm-hmm. I get it, but like, short of armed conflict, what's the other fucking solution like the, the only other the only other solution because because this is the other thing you know like 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 you know the dsa international committee is like well we need to be 
we need to be negotiating about this. It's like, okay, but there's no fucking leverage on the Ukrainian side without sanctions. Sanctions mm-hmm. are Ukraine's leverage right now. Yeah. Okay. So, so you can't, you cannot negotiate without both sides having some sort of leverage with each other that they are then willing to give up in order for concessions. Right. So international sanctions are part of Ukraine's leverage right now. And that's how you make it so that Russia stops its imperial war. And yes, that means that working people in Russia are going to suffer. But what's the option otherwise? Mm -hmm. The other option is Ukraine gets taken and the working people of Ukraine suffer. You know, like I don't I don't know what the hell else is supposed to be done here. Yeah, I uh, I see. Like, I, I agree with that i just i i struggle to i don't know um the the sanctions seem to be doing some pretty brutal stuff right now and i it you know i i can't like in good conscience just like give a thumbs up to that i guess yeah, but I, mean, I i don't yeah i don't love i don't love the people's lives in russia are being destroyed right now like it's not great but like mm-hmm. this that's Putin's fault. Mm-hmm. Like he didn't need to do this. Yeah. He didn't need to do this. And yeah. like, and there's just like, I just, I can't think of another way. Right. And, and something, um, I, I actually got my, I, I got my like brain turned on this a little bit. Um, a couple of days ago, somebody was just like, a lot of these people who are mad about sanctions in Russia, which I will also just say this before I get back onto that topic. The United States deploys sanctions really shittily a lot of the time. Like We have a bunch of sanctions against Venezuela right now that are bullshit and are just making people's lives in Venezuela worse for no fucking reason other than we don't like that country. The, the right? sanctions in Iran. Uh, exactly. Violent. The sanctions yeah. on Iran are like nonsensical. Like they're nonsensical. That's actually, that country has honestly basically as good a democracy as the United States has, especially when you consider what democracy looks like in Republican controlled states in this fucking country. Like Iran basically has the same amount of democracy as the United States. So like it's just run by by a theocratic judiciary. But wait, isn't that okay? Anyway, um, (laughs) but like, like, like sanctions on Iran and on Venezuela, on Cuba, they're fucking nonsensical. They're stupid. They're dumb. They don't actually help anybody. They're clearly not bringing an, an end to, um, to whatever conflicts we're having with those countries. And they're just immiserating the people there, right? If you deploy sanctions against a militarily belligerent state mm-hmm. in such a way as to cause maximal pain early in their belligerency that seems much more justifiable to me than just being like eh, we don't like your vibes fuck you in particular you yeah. didn't really do anything but we don't like you so we're gonna make your lives worse like sanctions in response to to an invasion yeah. to international malfeasance is i think completely appropriate particularly mm-hmm. when you consider that like armed conflict between nuclear powers is not a line that is worth crossing. No, I, I think you're right. I think I think I would be more comfortable if um, the U.S. made 
I don't know. I guess I guess it's implied that the sanctions will go away if you get out of Ukraine. But mm-hmm. I'd like to see a more clear, like, here's what you can have to do. Here are the criteria you have to meet for us to lift the sanctions. Or else I I, I fear, and I'm kind of parroting uh, Derek Davison, um, mm-hmm. who was making this point. But, um, you know, that that what... Um, you're, you have the likelihood of increasing, like, the Russian people's uh, dislike of the U.S. and might increase the tensions there, you know, more so as, you know, as we look into the future of, like, who's going to take over after Putin. If that occurs in a democratic way, pissing off the population might not be the best thing to do right now. Uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah, no, no, that's fair. That's fair. But, I, like, uh, you know, uh, oh, sorry. So... The other like little point that I was circling around to before I went on my like other sanctions are bad rant, which I do I will just say this: I do think that actually in general sanctions are bad because they're used poorly. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you use sanctions well, then they're good. And like a thing that I was just thinking about a couple of days ago, I I got it turned on to me was was like. A lot of these same people who are upset about these sanctions against Russia right now are the same kind of people who would support BDS against Israel. And what do you think the S stands for? (laughs) And would that not hurt workers in Israel? Yes, it fucking would. But do you know what? I believe it would be worth it because Palestinian freedom is fucking worth it. Mm Mm-hmm. You right. know, like right. Palestinian right. freedom is worth some pain for Israeli workers mm-hmm. in the same way. Ukrainian freedom is worth Russian workers having to experience some fucking pain as a result, as a direct result of their government's actions, because that's the other thing, right? Like the BDS framework works because we're saying, look, if your government chills the fuck out and is nice to Palestinians, we'll stop doing this. Sanctions against the Russian government for its for invading Ukraine are exactly the same. Hey, if you chill the fuck out and get out of Ukraine, all of this goes away. Mm-hmm. We stop yeah. hurting you and it all goes away. And it's like, if you think it's okay over here, why is it not okay over here? Yeah. Especially when... I mean, honestly, Palestine has been in a state of war for our entire adult lives, if not longer, mm-hmm. if not longer, right? Yeah. You know, I I, 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 struggle to see much difference. If we're okay with, if we're okay with sanctions over here from a leftist perspective, and I do think that it's entirely consistent to think that they're okay over here, then like we should be okay with them over here. I do agree with you that probably... There should be started to be articulated relatively soon here some like concrete asks of like, look, mm. yeah, start withdrawing and we can start drawing some of this stuff back. But like it really needs to be something that's verifiable. And like, man, if I'm being completely honest and I'm Ukraine at this point, given how relatively well this is going and how how much the West seems to be willing to like completely destroy the Russian economy. If I'm Ukraine, I'm like, we get everything back. You give us Crimea back, you give us Luhansk back, and you give us Donbass back. We get it all fucking back, and you fuck off forever. 
Yeah. And that is like, like, cause, cause that's the yeah, other problem yeah, here think, is that like, we still have Ukraine, like the Ukrainian government has agency as well as the Russian government, as well as, you know, the, the Western powers, all of these people have agency. Honestly, man, I don't see much reason for Ukrainians to give a fucking inch here. And in fact, to be like, you know what? All of that shit you took from us, it's ours again. Get the fuck out. Yeah. And that's, mm, that makes, that makes the end game of all of this very, very hard to like, to think through. Absolutely. But like, I just, again, I, 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 I feel like people who know me are going to hear this and hear the things that I've been saying and be like, you're not really a leftist. And I'm like, I still feel like I am though. I still feel like I am demonstrating solidarity with, with, with people who are currently undergoing oppression, who are currently facing imperialism. I feel uncomplicatedly fine with my beliefs because like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, tr- I'm a trot and a Gramsciist and a Luxembourgist, you know, mm-hmm. like, like those are, those are my, like, those are my like call signs. I'm not a Leninist. I'm not even really actually a Marxist. Mm-hmm. Like he, he was good and great, but like, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm definitely like, I'm not like internationalist type who thinks that like, yeah, I should actually just like impose him. I should just oppose imperialism. Yeah. Like straightforward. I should just oppose imperialism. A more, uh, morally consistent position in a lot of ways. Um, just imperialism is bad. No matter who the fuck does it. I don't care who does it. The, the kind of thesis statement I had of this episode um, that I think now would be a good time to pull out as we kind of like wrap up a bit here um, is that the this the crisis in Ukraine right now, the war in Ukraine right now is kind of a Rorschach test for what kind of leftist you are, like where your values lie. And, and that's why I feel like I've seen some pretty bizarre fracturing among the left as they've been fighting about this. And I think for you and I, we are leftists that value internationalism solidarity socialism and democracy i think those would be kind of the things that we hold as and and resistance to imperialism but i i kind of feel like that's implied in all that yeah it's implied in all of that yeah and so but like a lot of the you know i the term tanky gets misused but it it does it is correct at times especially in this context it feels because, you know, the, the term tanky, which I've been fucking seeing people try to act like that's a slur. It's so stupid. Uh, not a slur. You're not an oppressed group. Shut you're up. Not a, shut up. But, you know, it, it's been used against revolutionary third worldist groups or whatever. Yes. But the term is a reference to the invasion of Hungary or the, the suppression of the Hungarian revolution in the 50s. And it is. Are you on the side of the tanks? Or the protesters? Are you on the side of the imperialists or the side of the people that yeah. are standing up? And <laughs> oh my god, you're on the side of the imperialists? What's wrong with you? Yeah, and so in this case, it feels like yeah. I mean, you know, I I think I think there are a lot of people that are more in a middle ground that I still find irritating that should not properly call be called tankies, but there are tankies, and I I also feel like a. 
it take up entirely too much air. Yeah. In and, the, you know, especially in the online left uh, conversation, they take up entirely too much air in that, yeah. in that whole thing. And I mean, of course they have no real power in, in us politics. No. I'm aware of that, but they do kind of seem to derail DSA conversations and, uh, you know, I, they, they feel like it feels like we're, we're kind of losing track of like, what, what, what is this fucking shit about? Because, yeah. you know, Putin, Putin is of course not a communist, but I think there's this desire, um, you know, desire behind like people who are sympathetic to Assad, you know, Assad or Putin or whoever, because they're, they're dictators resisting Western imperialism. Yeah. And certainly. Um, but that doesn't make Eastern imperialism good. Yeah. <laughs> it any kind of imperialism good. You know, like it's, it's a thing that we've talked about before, uh, you and I, uh, but like, I think that there is just like a degree to which the American left, because, because the most, the most active and vocal and organized parts of the American left right now are all people who are under 40 basically, right? There's like a few, a vanishingly few Gen X burnouts. And then there's like boomer hippies who are just unreconstructed, you know, leftists and are their own fucking thing. But like almost everybody on the left in America right now is under the age of 40, which means that almost every American leftist right now is a person who has lived most of their lives being able to see the United States as uncomplicatedly the bad actor in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, you know, because the Soviet a, Union, you know, have yeah. homogeneity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but like, like, not even that necessarily. But like, mostly like because of like, it's like almost also as a function of American news media, because even when American news media is trying to like portray us interventions abroad in a good light, if you're left inclined, you see that and you think my country's bombing another country again, Jesus fuck. Like we're (laughs) constantly killing people. And and you don't hear, we don't hear very often about other countries behaving imperially, right? Mm. When we do, we hear about them in the context of, in the context of like, uh, like trying to do like a, a, a red scare type thing again, right? Mm-hmm. And so like, so like people, like there'll be like a buildup of like, China's going to do some bad shit. And then China, like, maybe does or doesn't do it. But, like, you kind of can go, like, eh, whatever's happening over there, I don't give a shit. Mm-hmm. Right? Or, like, Russia's going to do some bad shit. And I'm like, yeah, but it's happening over there. And they're staying in their borders, so I don't really give a shit. But, like, this time, Russia made the mistake mm-hmm. of leaving its fucking borders. Well, and you know, and even... Even if you are a, like, traditional Leninist, right, a full-on typical ML, even a Stalinist, okay, Um, you know, Stalin formed the Popular Front in response to Nazism in Europe. There is a point in which you do need to work with the liberal democracies, the capitalist democracies, whatever, and see that there is there is a, a, a mutual enemy. And I, I don't want to act like this is World War II. I don't know. I don't know what the fucking future of this is. But, like, it is very clear. It's it's not like 
It's not like I'm saying the U.S. is the good guy or even necessarily the lesser of two evils, but just that like Russia represents imperial aggression and we cannot like stand for a world order where this is okay and and you know what people we should have we should have gotten fucking sanctions us and saudi arabia should have been sanctioned for yemen yeah absolutely we we should have you know i wish that there was a large power that was able to check us in response to you know what's continuing to go on in yemen and somalia or whatever absolutely Um, Absolutely. We should have been sanctioned for Iraq. We should have been, probably, we should have been sanctioned for Afghanistan, too. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like we should have been sanctioned for any number of things that we have done in our lifetimes. But it's like, just because the United States is evil, and to be clear, the United States is fucking evil. Mm-hmm. Like, evil as shit. <laughs> like, absolutely, if there, if countries could go to hell, this country would go to hell. And be tormented by Satan in the most delicious ways. But, like, just because the United States is evil does not mean that when the United States says somebody else is doing something wrong, that they're not doing something wrong. You know? Like, hey, you shouldn't invade people. Doesn't matter that I keep doing it, but, like, you shouldn't do it. You shouldn't do it. And, And it should be okay for us to be like, yeah, I know the United States... Is the hypocrite over here saying that you shouldn't invade people? The United States is a big old hypocrite, but also they're fucking right. You shouldn't yeah. invade people. You shouldn't absolutely. do that. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Infuriating how few leftists have been willing to just straightforwardly say that. And it, there's been more of them in the last couple of weeks, but particularly in the lead up to the to this invasion. Just infuriating how few people were willing to say, no, you should no. Like, this is unacceptable. You can't invade other countries. It's not yeah. okay to do this. My, uh, my fellow co-host in Mammonburg, uh, the other podcast I do, um, she did an, uh, Finch, she did an experiment on Twitter at one point to prove exactly the point you're making, which was, uh, she had just tweeted, uh, I'm going to try something here. Putin mm-hmm. is bad. And lo and behold, she got ratioed. Tons of people like got mad at her. And it, it it's, it's really bizarre because none of them would say Putin is good, right. but they instantly clench up because anytime you accuse an enemy of the U.S. as being bad, you know, you, you're automatically on the side of U.S. imperialism. And, you know, I'm fucking not. On the side of U.S. imperialism. I think it's bad when we act imperially. I think it's bad when any country acts imperially. Imperialism is fucking bad. And it should be opposed. And I think I, I think why uh, the, the, the trots and the anarchists and the social democrats have all been much more reasonable to me, which I, is a statement that I feel is controversial among some people. But they have been they've been more reasonable to me, in my view, is because I I think the MLs are struggling. The Leninists and the Maoists are struggling in this post-Soviet world to exactly make sense of the world order, because it used to be very simple that it was Russia was the good guy and the U.S. was the bad guy. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, after the fall of the Soviet Union, you know, you see the more Leninist types have been struggling to 
quite grapple onto what is the pinnacle of the good countries. So they might take their, you know, take their, their hints from Venezuela or Cuba, uh, both of which, um, you know, they, they, both of which kind of supported Russia, but, you know, not really like, you know, um, in, in partially just as a middle finger to the U S and NATO, um, or, you know, yeah. So there's, there's kind of this, like those of people from those traditions, kind of grappling for finding the good guy here. And I think the anarchists have had a longer tradition of just not seeing a good guy necessarily and seeing it as a vying of power of different imperial powers. And and like, that's, I mean, it's a thing I said earlier, but it's just like, I, you can't be a head of a state and be a good person. I just think it's impossible. You cannot be the head of a modern state and be a good person. Yeah. You have to make absolutely. way too many choices that are absolutely morally compromising absolutely you know and like it like probably even in our socialist utopia it would probably actually be impossible to be a good head of state maybe maybe it would because it would be a utopia but like you know <laughs> like it would, be it would be fucking hard to be a good head of state of anything you know so why bother fucking lionizing these people and just criticize their fucking actions, regardless of who their putative enemy is? Yeah, you hate the United States? Great, me too. I just hate people who oppress people. It's not hard. I don't have. I have no. I have no difficulty squaring this circle. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I think that it's a pretty morally clear thing, and so I, I've been really baffled at the response. Um, and I like, like you said, you're, you're sure a lot of people listening to this will be pissed at you. Like, you know, I, I put out um, a Substack piece on this and I, I clenched up anticipating the same thing. Like, you know, on, on the whole, I, I understand that the general mainstream narrative is pro Russia or pro Ukraine, but oh, the, yeah. the leftist discourse right now. Uh, who is who's whose opinion I care more about? I don't really care how the mainstream views me. The I, we have talked about this. The 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 mainstream discourse is getting uh, creepily anti-Russian in ways that I think yeah. are interesting. Yeah, that's that's hard to because we I don't think we'll have enough time to get into it. But yeah, yeah. One, one thing to be clear: don't be fucking racist to Russians. Yeah, uh, the the fucking Russian immigrant, you know. Yeah, that lives but, in your city doesn't fucking have anything to do with this. Like, <laughs> what the fuck Vladimir Putin is doing or the Russian army is doing. Like, leave them the fuck alone. Like, don't be weird. And also, like, don't rename Moscow mules. Or <laughs> <laughs> you're selling Moscow mules in copper cups. Like, don't rename that to an American mule. That's like fucking Freedom Fry ass shit. It's the like, fucking it's Freedom Fry. It's stupid yeah. then. It's stupid now. Don't do it. It's dumb. It's dipshit behavior. Like, don't be anti-Russian. Russia is cool. Like, it's a cool culture. There's a lot of cool shit in Russia. Russians are nice people. Yeah. Russia's government sucks. Yeah, everybody. You know, now now is the time to. I mean, frankly, okay, not not to detour this too much, but like, frankly, now is the time to actually look at a lot of Russian culture shit because, like, man, War and Peace is a novel about like now. Exactly <laughs> what is happening right now. You know, I mean, uh, 
fucking idiot by Dostoevsky has a lot to say about what's going on right now. Uh, Brothers Karamazov, same thing. You know, like, 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 fucking, you could, you could, damn, you could read, uh, uh, anything by, uh, Jesus Christ, I gotta go find this fucking book because I'm, it's gonna drive me nuts if I can't (laughs) remember the name of this goddamn book. Give me a second. Crime and Punishment? No, it's not Crime and Punishment. I'm just just kidding. (laughs) Oh, duh. It's called Stalingrad. (laughs) Stalingrad. Yeah, yeah. By Vasily Grossman. Um, Like like Vasily Grossman's works, uh, you know, during, during, uh, from his dispatches uh, on the front line um, are, 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 great. are, are incredible and, and extremely relevant to to what we're seeing right now. Um, hold on. Yes, there he goes. Uh, his other books are Everything Flows and Life and Fate. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, yeah. like Grossman is somebody that people should be reading. Like, ex- yes, uh, definitely. Uh, you you could read you could read some Bulgakov. Like Bukaka, yeah, incredible and engage with right now. If you want to like look at, uh, I don't know, stories about a sense of doom about nuclear apocalypse and shit, Tarkovsky. I mean, yeah. is that's yeah. is, oh my gosh, Lars Stalker, any number. Oh, like, yeah, I mean, I I think the sacrifice is an incredibly underrated uh, film that more people should watch. I, I you know. The point being made, don't be racist to Russians, so. Russian culture is incredible. Uh, yeah, and I, I think the Russophobia, I, the Russophobia, like, especially I think we should be cautious of it, is even if you're like, fuck Russia, right? You, fuck Russians. If you hold that mentality, which I think is stupid, but even if you hold that mentality, we're about to get an influx of Ukrainian refugees. Do you really think that angry, stupid white dudes can tell the difference between a Ukrainian and a Russian? It's just going to end up being fucking racism against the people that are fleeing this war. It's going to be just like when it's going to be just like how fucking dipshits in this country target Sikhs because they think they're Muslim. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, you know, sorry, I was just about to say, uh, come and see. Oh, yes. The movie, yes. The movie Come and See. Like, that's a movie that we should all watch right now because, like, mm. one of the best movies about war ever made. I've been told I've never seen it, but uh, it's absolutely <laughs> fucking harrowing. Yeah, uh, it's great. It's absolutely harrowing, and I probably won't watch it again. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, that's that's one of those movies that uh, that's one of those once was enough movies. Grave of the Fireflies. Yeah, that's also, one of those movies. also what I've been told. Yes. Oh man, yeah. Uh, but yeah, like don't don't be racist against Russians. Russians are dope. Russians are cool, and like Ukrainians are cool. And I, I'd like to see Ukrainian art like have a. I, you know, I I hope maybe this glow this attention on Ukraine will make more people care about like the post Soviet republics and like yeah. their culture because it, it, there is a lot there's a lot there and there's a lot going on that's really interesting in a lot of them like like people need to care more about like the baltic states too like latvia lithuania estonia like Mm -hmm. there's a lot of cool shit going on in those places like care more about care more about what's going on in belarus right like belarus is i think actually closer to getting absorbed by russia than ukraine is yeah Yeah, i mean they're they're basically a satellite state of russia at this point i mean 
Anyway, uh, yeah. God, it's it's hard to it's hard to like wrap this conversation up because there's so much to you could still keep saying. It's like, we, yeah. we genuinely went from the 800s to now, so yeah, <laughs> very long ranging. <laughs> but um, so yeah, I'll say like as always, it was it was great, Chris. Um, if you uh, are a newer listener to my podcast, going back to VLVC, there's an old episode on the troubles in Ireland and England. Oh, that's right. Yes. I did do that. I don't think I completely embarrassed myself with that one. No, that was pretty good. I'll I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Um, yeah. That's great. And we hopefully look forward in a few months to an episode on 1848, barring some sort of nuclear exchange that we all die. At the end of the month, I'm going to be in Des Moines, and hopefully I get to hang out with you. Yes, we should try to do something. I, I will. I would I, like I that. should be able to make that work. Definitely. We'll be in town from the 29th of march through april 1st sick okay well um thank you so much everybody for listening to fruitless and i will see you later this month deuces
Yeah. 